0: So, since these wormholes connect very, very distant points in space-time through a shortcut, in principle, one should be able to travel distances that we wouldn't be able to travel otherwise because they are far apart in space. In order to create these kind of structures, a huge amount of energy would be needed because this involves distorting space-time, something that the humans would have never done before.
1: You're listening to Rich In's podcast, where we take the ultimate sci-fi themes found in books and movies and discuss them with the world's leading scientists, engineers, and experts. This week's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors and preferred retailers, Wordery and the Book Depository. And the book whose theme we're reflecting on this week is Final Days by Gary Gibson. It's set in the year 2235 when wormhole technology has brought interstellar travel, allowing humankind to establish colonies on a number of planets. The story shifts from power struggle thriller to apocalyptic hard science fiction that follows an array of compelling characters through to our planet's final days. You can find the link to Final Days in the show notes. My name is Amy Rose, and as a host of Widdishins Podcast, I bring to you an episode this week on wormholes with our guest, Dr. Geordie Pratt-Kamps. Dr. Geordie Pratt-Kamps is a physicist from Barcelona with a background in electromagnetism, superconductivity, and metamaterials with a very applied vision. He loves to explore the frontiers between disciplines, and in particular, the connection between science and technology. His ultimate passion is to learn and innovate. I want to go back in time to when you were younger. Did you always want want to be involved in science or did it sort of just fall into your lap and it's something that you just, someone showed you when you were in high school and you got interested then? How how did you get to where you are now?
0: Yeah, that's a very good question. Actually, I've been thinking about this for the last years, uh, trying to understand how the hell did I end up here. And actually, I've been interested in science and technology since uh, actually since I was very since I was a kid. I was fascinated by space. This was one of the topics that really fascinated me a few years ago. Actually, I was fascinated by the space exploration and by, the, for example, the activities that NASA has been doing. Uh, actually, these days we are celebrating the 50 years of moon landings. So uh, it was actually these things really sparked. Something in me, and then very slowly I, well, I I learned that physics would be the right discipline for me because it's the discipline that studies all these interesting and fascinating things that happen in our world, uh, not only on Earth but that rule the world, and that's how I ended up doing physics. And then, well, uh, at the end of physics undergraduate, I enrolled in a PhD in applied physics, and well. This has been more or less the path I've been following. Uh, my mother remembers me reading some books on a space all the time.
1: It seems like you've got your fingers in a lot of pies. I don't know if you know that that saying yeah. but it. Yeah, so you've got a you've got or a jack of all trades or yes. whatever that yes. that might be in yeah. science.
0: Yes. So and technology because somehow <laughs> science and technology are very much related, right? So re- uh, technology also relies on progress in science. All these things really are really fascinating.
1: And what are you working on at the moment? What, what's your passion right now?
0: When I started my PhD, uh, my former group was doing research on the control of magnetic fields. And I started working on that, field, uh, and on that particular topic. And I haven't stopped since then. My expertise is on the control of these magnetic fields.
1: Awesome. And so when you say the control of magnetic fields, mm-hmm. do you mean how to structure, like, let's say parts of an electric car so mm-hmm. that it, and you build it based on magnetic fields and you are the person, you've got a physicist who tells the engineer how it's going to actually work is that what you mean like how to more, uh, control more the moving parts
0: like, yeah more or less like this so I- imagine the following so when when you want to to perform an, an mri scan you need to apply a very strong magnetic field to our bodies and then our molecules react creating a, a magnetic field that is recorded in order to do that you need to be able to create the magnetic field to send this magnetic field through your body. And this magnetic field needs to have a very controlled shape, right? This is what magnetic field shaping means. The ability to shape this invisible landscape of magnetic fields, right? So in transformer or in a motor, for example, if you want to maximize, if you want to optimize the torque and the force that you get from this motor, you need to distribute the magnetic field inside this motor in a very precise way and this is uh, that's the reason why you need to be able to uh, have tools to control and to shape the magnetic field as you wish this is actually part of the research that i've been doing and actually uh, in at the very beginning as i was telling you before one of the first questions that uh, uh, we came across was the the, uh, the problem of cloaking. So the problem of magnetic cloaking is very interesting. So if you have a piece of metal, for example, in a space, the metal distorts the magnetic field, okay? So if you approach a magnet to a piece of metal, the magnet is going to stick to this metal, okay? So, and if you measure the distribution, the landscape of uh, this magnetic field, the landscape is distorted by the presence of this metal, okay? Now, so the question is, related to magnetic field shaping as well so the question is would it be possible to design a kind of invisibility or rather undetectability cloak something that we can put around this magnetic material such that neither the object the metallic object nor the surrounding cloak itself uh, would distort the magnetic field because if you can do that you would uh, make this material undetectable and it Thanks to the theory we developed some years ago, we found a solution. It was not trivial, but we found a solution that provides such cloaking. And we ended up building a kind of shell with which you can surround any magnetic object. And then, no matter what you bring close to this cloak, you will not be able to detect the presence of this metallic object. So, that's another example of field shaping.
1: You might have that sneaky suspicion that we've cut a fair bit out of this episode and your intuition is on point but that's because we can't fit everything in and you also might have a sneaky suspicion that we've done other interviews that are a little bit crazier so if you want access to all the uncut episodes and the interviews that we decided to make private just head to com forward slash members only, and you might just find your tribe. Okay, I'll let you get back to the episode now. So you're basically a master of the tools that are used to control magnetic fields. Exactly.
0: That's a very nice way to summarize this. So we have been working on tools to shape and control and to mold these magnetic fields.
1: Can you take us through what magnetic fields have to do with wormholes and what Uh, wormholes are? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, worm, that's a very tricky question. Uh, actually, uh, wormholes are something that, well, is a celestial structure that is uh, studied. And as far as I know, and I'm not an expert in general relativity and gravitation, it's a structure that is predicted by the theory. Nobody has been able to observe the presence of these wormholes in, in, in the actual a space but it's a theoretical prediction and the idea the very naive idea that i have is that these wormholes would connect distant points in a space-time and would behave effectively like a tunnel between distant points okay and one the theory tells you that in theory you should be able to uh, travel from one point to another very distant point in a space through this kind of uh, shortcut this wormhole okay so this is the celestial structure okay now the what we did some years ago was something very different from that but somehow theoretically connected so we built a, what we called a magnetic wormhole magnetic wormhole was something much less exciting than this gravitational wormhole.
1: Okay, so I'm not very familiar with how they work. So can you tell us about that?
0: The, the, the idea behind a gravitational wormhole is that it's a kind of tunnel or a path that connects two distant points in a space. One crucial point is that the path is not detectable. The path of a wormhole lies outside of the three-dimensional space. Now, in our lab, we try to, inspired by the theory that some mathematicians did some years ago, we tried to do something analogous to that, but for magnetic fields. Okay, So instead of transferring matter from one point to another point, uh, we tried to transfer a static magnetic fields between two points in a space through a path that was not magnetically detectable. Okay, So at the end of the day, we build a device that looks like a sphere. It's not very fancy, it's not very exciting, but the concept is, I I find it rather interesting. So we build a device that is able to transfer the magnetic fields from one point in a space to another point in a space. And the cool point is that if you bring a detector, a magnetic field detector nearby, and you try to find the path uh, through which the magnetic field travels, You will not be able to detect this path. So from the magnetic point of view, when you build a map of this magnetic field, what you find is that the magnetic field disappears at one point, appears at some other point far from the first, 20 centimeters far from the first, and you are not able to detect the path through which the magnetic field travels. Mathematically, this behaves like a magnetic wormhole, because Mm -hmm. from the magnetic point of view, it's like if you were traveling this or transferring this magnetic field through an extra dimension. So this is what we built in the lab.
1: So the wormholes themselves exist?
0: The theory that we have developed to understand gravitation predicts somehow the existence of such structures. But as far as I know, this is a very controversial topic. So there's not much uh, agreement on the existence or not of these things.
1: Oh, you're not wrong there. Um, that's absolutely true. It's um, it's pretty hard to find people to speak on wormholes, to be honest. But there is a group of people and scientists mm-hmm. um, who do believe that wormholes exist. Uh-huh. And obviously, there's people who don't. But let's say mm-hmm. that their science is legit and it all adds up. What are wormholes, to your knowledge? What would be the purpose of them for us? I mean, could we use them to travel through like, uh, that, from one point to another?
0: Mm-hmm, that's a very cool question, and actually, this relate is is, relate, uh, is very much related to, for example, to this film, uh, this amazing film from Christopher Nolan, uh, Interstellar. I, uh, I'm sure that you that you watched this Love film. Love
1: it, yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Actually, there uh, that was a perfect example. And actually, this this film was backed by some of the uh, best authorities in bills, like Kip Thorne, for example. And well, in this film, we can see, for example, what would a potentially a wormhole allow us to do. So since these wormholes connect very, very distant points in space-time through a shortcut, in principle, one should be able to travel distances that we wouldn't be able to travel otherwise because they are far apart in space. And this shortcut in principle, should allow us to connect to other very distant points in, in space. I hope that this is true, because that would be an amazing way to explore regions of our universe that we wouldn't be able to explore otherwise. The distances in our universe are so huge that a lifetime, a human lifetime, isn't wouldn't be enough to explore, I mean... Not even a tiny fraction of our space, so wormholes could help in this sense
1: i 'm also thinking, could these wormholes even exist on earth or could or are they only <sighs> in space
0: yeah. honestly, at this point, we don 't have any solid scientific evidence that tells us that such a structures. Have been detected or have been produced.
1: So I'm glad you brought up Interstellar um, uh-huh. because that was in my that was in my list of things uh-huh. to talk to you about. But you mentioned that there was a number of scientists who were advisors on the film. I yeah. think um, yeah. who were reference points for the people who were creating the film. Yeah. So from that, I took that there is evidence and it's strong enough for me as a layman Mm -hmm. to um, coming from very intelligent people that it is a possibility that Mm -hmm. they exist. But could they be used in the way that they're used in interstellar? When scientists think about wormholes, are they focusing mostly on creating a shortcut to other universes or are they thinking about using that for other things?
0: Well, uh so far, we only have theory that tells us that such structures might be allowed by the laws of physics. Okay? So, and that's, that's something, for sure, but that's actually a bit poor in terms of, uh, since we don't have any observation of anything like that, we don't really know uh, what to expect from that, uh, this kind of a structure. So in an Interstellar, for example, I love this film, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> but in, in Interstellar, it happens that all of a sudden, uh, a wormhole uh, so shows up there. And actually one of the questions that is asked in the film is who the hell brought this, <laughs> this wormhole here? So a wormhole bends space like this, so you can take a shortcut through a higher dimension to show that they've turned three dimensional space. Into two dimensions, which turns a wormhole into two dimensions. A circle. What's a circle in three dimensions? Sphere. Exactly. Spherical hole. But who put it there? Who do we have to thank? Well, I'm
1: not thanking anybody until we get out of here in one piece, Ron. Well, this
0: is an open question. Okay? So mm-hmm. Nobody really knows how this structure was formed or who brought this structure so close to Earth. In any
1: case, so it doesn't it doesn't occur naturally, it's something that's created? Is that well what
0: this is what they argue. This is what they argue because they say, well, we were observing this area of the universe and this structure was not there before. Okay. So how did that happen? I have a very naive understanding of the theory, okay? But it seems that in order to create these kind of a structures, huge amount of energy would be needed because this involves distorting space-time something that the humans, we have never done actively before. So we have never played this kind of game. This is a completely different league. I don't know if we will be able to create this kind of a structures anytime soon. Nature, these things might occur naturally in, in space. We know now, for example, that black holes are there. <laughs> there is a black hole actually at the center of our galaxy. So, and they happen, um, they develop naturally. Space, maybe black, uh, wormholes develop naturally as well. I don't know.
1: That's what I, that's what I was thinking because perhaps if they existed and if they were found, then we could sort of duplicate that based on what you know what we see.
0: Uh, when you start thinking about the space, and actually uh, in, in Interstellar, you can have this feeling as well when you look at the this uh, spaceship that is traveling towards a uh, wormhole you see that we are just dust in this universe. And we, humans, are a really tiny fraction of life in a tiny but beautiful planet here. So actually one needs to be also a bit modest.
1: I was speaking to a friend and we were saying, I really hope that there's some technology that cures cancer or something so that we can live a lot longer so that we get to see all of these things come into existence because yeah i think you know things that wormholes in particular unless they develop naturally Mm -hmm. close enough for us to see it's a long way away but yeah i want to live a long time for this
0: (laughs) yeah that's a bit that's a bit sad and what you say is it's totally true our you know lifetime 100 years is in terms of of space time orders of magnitude is nothing so unfortunately ah, a lifetime is might not be enough <laughs> to see
1: yeah and, and considering you know we are like you said specks of dust and we're specks yes. of dust that, that that live for about a hundred years in the massive exactly. scheme of a billion billion year you know exactly
0: so mind blowing <laughs> that, that actually <laughs> that's from- that's mind blowing because it can be a bit overwhelming when you think about that because we, I, most of the times I end up thinking, come on, we are nothing. But on the other hand, it's also nice to, to see how much we managed to progress in a matter of few hundreds of years. So, you know, I have some, some mixed feelings between pessimism and optimism in some sense.
1: Uh, Here's a question for you then. Some people think, (laughs) you don't have to answer this question, it depends. Um, But some people think that some of the technology and the science that has come about is because it gets handed to us by extraterrestrials or people from the future. What do you think are the chances of having an extraterrestrial visit us? Or even someone in the future, do you think time travel is possible?
0: Actually, I have very different opinions on these two, uh, on these two questions. On the one hand, as to the time travel, I have to be pessimistic. I'm a physicist. I'm based, uh, uh, my, my arguments are based on, on scientific knowledge. And as far as I know, all the theories that describe the universe uh, so far forbid this kind of time travel. This would violate some well-established principles that uh, so far nobody has been able to to violate violate or to criticize as to the the existence of other uh, civilizations or living organisms in this regard I'm quite confident that there are other you know other people if we want to call it like this uh, but I'm, I'm sure that there are other civilizations in this vast universe the universe is huge wouldn't make even statistically it seems to me that there should be some somebody else out there, very different from us at very different stages. Maybe actually we find a planet or a moon in which life is developing, but, you know, it's like developing like uh, millions of years before in Earth. So we might be a bit out of phase related to other civilizations or they might be much more advanced. Who knows?
1: But you don't think they're going to deliver us some technology to to build our own wormholes and they're not going to take a shine to us earthlings?
0: Well, uh, that's difficult to guess. I don't know. There's another movie that I love. Uh, Well, a movie based on a a novel from Carl Sagan, which is called Contact.
1: Oh, my God. I I love that movie. And it is a book, and I'll add the book if anyone wants to read it. It'll be in the show notes. But there's a part in the movie where jodie foster not only wants to contact aliens okay she also wants to travel through a wormhole and there's this big scene where she's in this sphere a little bit like interstellar describes the device that travels through a wormhole is in a sphere shape it's an amazing scene steve we're real close electrical what you're reading in the core the internal environment looks normal inside the core the weather's beautiful
0: To go. I'm okay to go.
1: I'm okay to go. Initiate drop sequence. On my mark. Ten. Nine. Eight. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three.
0: Is, is, is awesome. I really love it because you know the approach is really clever in this novel. So instead of having, of having a civilization that visits us, they send information to us. That's a different story because radio signals travel at the speed of light. So if we are talking about you know some star that is uh, 25 or 30 years far from us at the speed of light, well, some contact would be possible, right? You send a signal and you get the feedback 30 years later. I think that this might be somehow, this might be possible. And if you are able to establish contact and they, uh, this other civilization is much more developed, why not? So maybe they can send us some information or some knowledge that... Uh, it's a game changer for us and allows us to, you know, build the structures that, that allow us to travel faster or that change our understanding of uh, the laws of physics.
1: I can just imagine the phone call between the two planets. <laughs> yes. And they say, oh, well, you know, we can't quite make it there as humans. Do you want to meet halfway or, or something, yeah. you know, and, and yeah, have a that, chat? That, <laughs> would <laughs> be,
0: that would be amazing. That, that would be really amazing. I, I suspect that this delay of twenty-five or thirty years would be a bit annoying because we complain about the Skype when we have a lag of ten yeah. seconds. So imagine <laughs> a lag of twenty-five years to get the answer. But that would be definitely something very neat.
1: But what technology do you do you envision will exist that most of us don't think about or or wouldn't think about? Something you've wow. imagined.
0: Yeah, that's a a very, very good question. I mean, the obvious question would be technologies related to the information, right? Information connectivity. You know, most likely there will be an artificial intelligence that uh, helps, really helps us in uh, solving problems in our everyday life, but uh, but also big problems in terms of humanity. These are the obvious uh, kind of answers. Uh, to this question, but I would also like to highlight something a bit more, uh, maybe less exciting, but I feel that this will be hopefully the the, the biggest change. I think that in 50 years, or we should uh, have made a big progress in terms of uh, climate change. I feel that we are we are starting to understand the extent of the problem, and now we have solid evidence that tells us that well, we made a very Big change. I think that in 50 years, we need to solve this problem. And this might not sound very exciting, but I think this needs to be a fundamental priority for us. Otherwise, in 100 years, I think that this beautiful planet might be much less green than now.
1: Yeah, and in the scheme of things, we mentioned that we only live for 100 years. And I mean, this universe is billions and whatever, I don't know how old it is. But really, to destroy a planet, in a hundred years
0: yeah that's, that that's,
1: should be that's, telling you something right <laughs>
0: exactly exactly that's why I think that we have we have evidence right now that tells us that uh, we have made the worst changes in terms of climate in a, in a matter of one hundred one hundred fifty years. so either we change something dramatically, very fast, or in one hundred and fifty years from now wow, maybe this beautiful planet is not that uh, lovely anymore. And that's a a big problem. That's a big problem because this planet is our spaceship, right? The one that protects us. And uh, I think that we need to be very aware of that. In any case, I think that this will become, hopefully, one of the priorities for us. Because before thinking about exploring other planets or traveling very far, The first thing we need to do is to be sure that our spaceship uh, is healthy and can sustain us for at least some generations.
1: Well, that's a wonderful way to end the interview, actually. It's a little bit warm and fuzzy, so that's actually really, really good. Um, Jordi, thank you so much for joining me on Uh, Widdishins. It's been awesome. Thank Thank you. you And well, have a wonderful rest of your day then.
0: Thank you for reminding me. A pleasure.
1: Thank you. Bye, Jordi.
0: Bye bye.